this is Terry Waldo, and the program is This is Ragtime. This is the third program in our series, and today we're going to do a tribute to one of my great friends who died, oh, about a year and a half ago now, Chuck Wilson. And we'll be playing the third program on my original series, This is Ragtime, that we did for NPR back in 1972. And we're going to start with uh, the third track from our new album, which hopefully will be released this fall. The title of the album is I Double Dare You. It features my current version of the Gotham City Band along with Tatiana Eva Marie. It's a great album. We're really looking forward to getting it out there. And we're going to hear the third track from the album. Here is Button Up Your Overcoat. You belong to me. 
and that was Button Up Your Overcoat from our new album, I Double Dare You, which we hope will be released this fall on Turtle Bay Records. Today I'd like to do a tribute to one of the great musicians that I've been able to work with over the years, Chuck Wilson. Chuck Wilson, who died on October 17th, 2018 at the age of 70 years old, and I had been working with him since 1984 when he was the regular clarinet saxophone player with my original Gotham City band. He was a terrific musician and an all-around character, as most of the guys that I've worked with are. He came from Texas and went to North Texas State. He also went to the state prison for a while for smoking marijuana. By the time I met him, he was already famous among jazz circles. He was considered the best alto sax player in the city. Over his career, he'd been working with Buddy Rich, Bobby Short, Benny Goodman, all sorts of musicians. I was thrilled that he he wanted to play with me, and so we produced a, an album. It was just called uh, Terry Waldo and the Gotham City Band for Stomp Off Records, and the rest of the musicians uh, that were included were an all-star cast. Howard Alden was on banjo and guitar. Vince Giordano was on bass sax, tuba, and string bass. Dan Barrett on trombone, Peter Eklund on trumpet, and Arnie Kinsella on drums. It was a great group. Here is the great Gotham City Band in 1984 playing Candlelights by Bix Beiderbeck.
That was Chuck Wilson with the Gotham City Band playing part of the suite that Bix Beiderbeck wrote, the Candlelight Suite. That was Candlelights. I worked with him off and on the next few years, and he was playing with all sorts of other people and playing Broadway shows. He toured with Liza Minnelli a lot at that time. I would get him occasionally for my various projects. In 1990, we put together a group called the Virtuoso Jazz Trio, and it was the largest trio in the business because we had actually four people in it. Uh, Besides myself and Chuck Wilson, we had Howard Alden on banjo and guitar, and Bruce Chafin, who played xylophone. We did a lot of novelty pieces that featured saxophone, and Chuck worked up a number of pieces by the great Rudy Wiedoft, who composed a lot of novelty pieces for saxophone. So here from a live concert that we did on February 4th, 1990, is Chuck playing Rubinola.
Chuck could play all the wind instruments, and that's the reason that he did a lot of Broadway shows. He not only played the, all of the saxophones and clarinet, but he could also play flute and piccolo. And we put together a ragtime orchestra uh, for Masanabu Ikemia, who got a contract to record for actually RCA in Japan. He had a pretty good budget, so he hired me to produce the thing, and I got the best musicians in New York, which included Chuck Wilson. And Chuck is playing flute on this cut we're going to hear, and this is called Peaceful Henry, and this was recorded in November of 93. few years I'd been playing with Chuck quite a bit actually. We did a lot of playing at Shea Josephine and about every other Saturday night just the two of us would play and I was very honored actually that he'd considered playing with me. He'd pretty much retired by that time. He made a lot of money from the union because he'd played so many Broadway shows over the years. He said, I'm only playing with Terry Waldo. That was 
probably not exactly true, but he was doing it a lot whenever I could come up with a, a gig. I think he enjoyed the repertoire because uh, I knew a lot of songs that he didn't know too well that he wanted to learn. But I always figured I was probably too corny for him, but he enjoyed playing with me. And uh, we did a, a lot of stuff. He was getting grouchier and grouchier in those days, I think partly because his health was deteriorating. His liver had pretty much decomposed, and he was waiting for a new liver. That's actually what killed him. They they uh, took him to the hospital to, to get a new liver, and it was not right. Sepsis, I guess is the term for it, from being in the hospital, and he did not recover from that. So we have kind remembrances of Chuck, even though he was a grouch. He was such a wonderful guy, and he didn't do anything that involved bullshit. And he didn't take too kindly the musicians that he thought were playing bullshit. He would uh, tell me that he'd just listened to Louis Armstrong's recording of this or Ella Fitzgerald or somebody like that, and he says, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it's supposed to be. All these other guys are playing it wrong. And he had very definite ideas of the correct way to play songs. So I'm going to play you one more cut, which uh, features Chuck. This is from our 1984 recording, and this is Fats Waller's Viper's Drag.
as in our previous shows, we're going to include now one of my original NPR This Is Ragtime programs. This is show number three. This is Ragtime. I'm Terry Waldo, and today we begin a series of programs on the king of the ragtime composers, Scott Joplin. Within the last few years, the American musical scholars and general public have begun to recognize one of America's musical geniuses, the great black composer Scott Joplin. And he was the originator of the musical form we call classic ragtime that we described on our first program. And he was also the acknowledged master of that form. But it's taken over 50 years for us to recognize his talent and to see ragtime as the serious and refined music that Joplin envisioned. Now, Joplin's contribution began in 1898 with the publication of his first rag. It's called Original Rags, and it consists of five separate folk song-like themes, but they're put together as a single composition rather than simply a medley of unrelated tunes, as was the custom of the day. And this fact alone puts Joplin above the other ragtime composers. Now, we'll hear this rag is recorded on a mechanical cut piano roll. And this particular recording comes to us from one of a series that was put together by Mike Montgomery for Biograph Records. Here's Original Rags.
Joplin had actually first tried to sell the maple leaf rag, which we know turned out to be the most popular rag ever composed, and it was turned down by Carl Hoffman, who published original rags, but was bought by a man by the name of John Stark. And Stark was a white man who believed in classic ragtime like Joplin. It was Stark who published the great rags not only by Joplin, but also by many other classic rag composers. And we'll talk more about Stark in later programs, but let us say right here that Stark and Joplin formulated the concepts of classic ragtime with the publication of the Maple Leaf Rag in 1899. Now there follows a whole series of fine Joplin rags that give good indication of Joplin's background. He had toured the Mississippi Valley region in his early years and was an active piano player on what you might call the sporting house circuit. And during this time, you must have heard numerous folk songs and learned the styles of countless barrel house and honky-tonk piano players. Many of his early rags have a robust, yet beautifully melodic flavor that reflects this background. Listen now to the Easy Winners, and this is a rag from 1901. It's played for us by Wally Rose in what I think is a very suitable rocking rhythm section from the Lou Waters Yerba Buena Jazz Band.
Joplin and Stark had begun publishing in Sedalia, Missouri, but with the success of Maple Leaf Rag, they both moved to St. Louis, which became the home for many of the world's finest ragtime players. But Joplin's success allowed him to remain relatively free of the performing side and to concentrate on composing. Here's a rag from 1903 that Joplin recorded in 1916 on a piano roll. This is the Weeping Willow Rag. As early as 1902, there developed a strain on the relationship between Joplin and Stark. 
Joplin, having defined the ragtime form, was pushing to expand it. He wrote one long piece called The Ragtime Dance in 1902, and even completed a ragtime opera in 1903. The ragtime dance contains lyrics and directions for an elaborate dance sequence. Dances now long forgotten, unfortunately. The ragtime dance, the cleanup dance, Jenny Cooler dance, the slow drag, and so on. Now, Stark felt that sales would not justify publishing the work, and he was proven correct. Stark had been very happy to publish and support the short classic rags, but he couldn't go along with Joplin's continually expanding goals for ragtime. It was Joplin the idealist versus Stark the realist. Stark published a shortened version of the ragtime dance in 1906. It was much in the form of the other classic rags, and it was included in an orchestra folio of Stark's rags called the Red Book of Rags. Here's a recent recording of the orchestra version of this tune. It has Gunther Schuller conducting the New England Conservatory Ragtime Ensemble.
1905, Joplin began to leave both musically and physically his Mississippi Valley surroundings and began to travel to Chicago and other cities and eventually ended up in New York. His rags began to take on a more pronounced leaning toward the classical and away from the folk song flavor of his earlier rags. He expressed an increasing freedom in the bass lines, in fact, even to the extent of writing entire 16-bar sections which were entirely free of the oompa bass. I'd like you to notice in this 1905 rag, the interlude preceding the last return to the theme of the trio. It's an eerie, largely two-voice, linear piece of writing, and it's quite advanced for the time, but I think it gives us a glimpse of what Joplin would be writing in future years. This is the relatively unknown Eugenia, and the recording we'll be hearing is by Hank Jones, and I think it's kind of interesting. Jones is a modern jazz player, and one of the few younger black musicians who plays ragtime. And he kind of gives the Joplin piece a, a jazz feeling, you might say, and takes some rhythmic liberties, but he still maintains the thoroughly melodic quality of the Joplin rag. <laughs>
The final work on today's program is from 1907. This is the Gladiolus Rag, and this is truly a masterpiece of writing, and it provides us with a great example of the way Joplin could build musically and emotionally within this rigid form that he himself had constructed for the classic rag. Each of the four separate themes builds on the other, and it forms a complete musical sequence. Here's a Joshua Rifkin performance of Gladiolus Rag.
Next week, we'll continue our story of Scott Joplin, and we'll also be talking with ragtime historian Rudy Blesch, who was the co-author of They All Played Ragtime. On This Is Ragtime. This is Ragtime was produced, written, and narrated by Terry Waldo and directed by Jeff Mill. Audio engineer, Bob Robinson. This program was produced at the Ohio University Telecommunications Center with funds provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This is NPR, National Public Radio.